You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. The Houndsman XP Podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days? How many days a week you spend out there? As much as I can, to be honest with you. Any time that I get, I'm I'm out there. 
Join us for every heart-pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm going to hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine that represents your lifestyle as a houndsman. If you can hunt it with a hound, it is being covered in the pages of Southern Hound Hunting Magazine. You also get an in-depth look at the men and women who are engaged in this lifestyle, living it every day to the fullest. From the Rocky Mountains to the Southern Swamps and across the ocean with articles about our international houndsmen and what they're chasing across the pond. Go to southernhoundhunting.com, get your subscription for $15 a year. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine, promoting the fair chase experience. Welcome back to Houndsman XP, and we are going to the land down under. We've got our good friend from Australia. Mr. Alex Christick, how how are you, Alex? It's been a while since we talked. I'm good, Chris. I'm good. How about yourself? Oh, we're doing great over here. Um, trying to just get some hunting in. It's a busy time right now. We've got all of the, uh, a lot of coonhound stuff going on. Bear seasons are going on. Lion seasons getting ready to kick off. I mean, this is a great time of year for houndsmen in the United States. I wish we could say the same here. We're, we're uh, locked down uh, due to this COVID thing and uh, we've got uh, very restricted travel so we can't we can't take our hounds and terriers etc out into our the country we normally hunt because of this restriction and I've got hounds that haven't been uh, they haven't been out of the pen since um, uh, since August which is very sad but uh, unfortunately uh, it's the nature of the beast so you guys are on a lockdown where you can't even go out into the bush and and hunt. I'm lucky that I live, you know, I've got a farm that backs onto a lot of bush and um, I can run some of the younger dogs around the place, but you, you, you can't hunt like you would normally hunt, um, you know, in the areas that we that we traditionally hunt purely because uh, it's just too far to travel. I normally travel, you know, two to four hours to go hunting. Uh, unfortunately, that's not possible because of this lockdown at the moment. Yeah, so you've got to travel a couple couple hours anyway to get into that sandbar deer hunting that that you love so much. Well, we've got to get into those sweet spots, you know, those secret spots everybody has. I'm sure you have them over there. <laughs> yeah, we won't talk about where your secret spots oh, are. No, we can't. We can't do that. We'd have, we'd have to shoot you. <laughs> uh, well, hey, the reason the reason I, I wanted to to dial you up here and get you on the podcast again is is i want to talk about something that that we haven't spent a lot of time on uh, on the houndsman xp podcast we've touched on it here and there but but terriers are such a valuable hunting dog that get overlooked i mean that um by the general population as a whole you know <clears throat> we've had um uh, we had the the surge of the Jack Russell Terriers in the United States and different things like that. But there's there's a breed of terrier that you breed and you hunt 
that um, I wanted to touch on because they're they're fascinating to me, and I've got a friend that had a couple of these these terriers, and um, uh, it it was fun to watch him. He's got an epic story, probably the funniest story I've ever heard about about these, but. You raise Yog Terriers, and I wanted to get you on the podcast and talk about these amazing little dogs. Well, it's, it's my pleasure. I, apart from hounds, I, I, I raise uh, and train Yog Terriers, also known as German Hunting Terriers, and I also have Deutsch Dratas, also known as German Wirehead Pointers. So there is a bit of a common thread going through these dogs. That most of them come from, uh, from the Germans. Germany. From Germany, <laughs> the German. Uh, uh, look, I, I've got to. You've got to hand it to to our friends in Germany. Uh, historically, they um, they have produced some very very good breeds, outstanding breeds, and Yark uh, Terriers uh, are certainly uh, certainly amongst those. But having said all of that, uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Yark Terriers uh, didn't originate of the. The, the raw material that, that uh, was used to, to make yard terriers didn't originate in Germany. A lot of it uh, originated in the UK. And, uh, that, the United Kingdom, really? Yeah, they did. Uh, a, a lot of the breeds that, that were used to um, to make the, the, the German hunting terrier or the yard terrier did come from did come from the UK, England. No and, kidding. England and Ireland, yeah, for sure. And, uh, I'm ar- I'm already learning stuff. Before we get there, hey, I w- I've got to, I've got to dispel something. What is the proper pronunciation of the breed name? Because you hear people say Jags and you hear people say Yogs. Well, the, the word Yag in German means hunt, and uh, in literally that they, they are a German hunting terrier, so they're a hunt terrier. Right. Pretty well. So look, I've heard them called everything. Um, yeah, the Serbs call them something, the Russians call them something else. But uh, I think Yark, universally, everybody knows uh, that, uh, what, what dog you're yeah. talking about. Well, yeah, in English-speaking countries, a lot of them just say German hunting terriers. But that, that, we just say Jags. Jag terriers. Yeah. <laughs> and, and look, and the Aussies, the Aussies the, are the same. You know, guys ring me and say, I want one of them Jag terriers. I said, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the, the, the thing is, the thing is, I, I only um, I only sell my dogs to, to hunters or people that use them uh, in an operational context, and I'll explain the reason for those as we go along. But um, uh, unfortunately, look, with a lot of terrier breeds, and as I said, just you know, in our preliminary conversation, uh, you know, Jack Russell terriers, English fox terriers, and many of the other uh, old terrier breeds. You know, what they used to call Patterdale. Patterdale. Well, look, even, you know, you only really started hearing about Patterdale yep. Terriers in the last 20 years. Nobody heard of, of a Patterdale Terrier before then. They were, before that, they were called Fell Terriers and Manchester Terriers. And all of these breeds, they do share some common ancestry with Yard Terriers. The extent of which, um, I suppose, uh, is, uh, uh, you know, I suppose mixed up in the mists of time. But um, the Germans, when they decided that they... In, between, the, um, between the two world wars, the Germans decided that they would come up with a, a strictly German hunting terrier. And um, they... Um, the, it was going to be their secret weapon. Well, I think it was. And, and, and look, they, I think uh, they, <laughs> cre- they created... They did 
in effect, as far as terriers are concerned, they create they created a secret weapon for sure. Uh, I don't think that that wasn't their goal. Their goal was initially to to uh, create a a versatile hunting dog that um, was uh, good to be used uh, underground, you know, for, for underground quarry like badger and fox, stuff like that, and also mm-hmm. to be used above the ground uh, as you would a normal, you know, another other variety of versatile hunting dog like your, you know, German wirehead pointers or your shorthead pointers or your Kurtz Haas or whatever you want to call them these days. But the, the, the terriers were attractive to a lot of the people in Germany and in other parts of Europe because of their size. They're fairly small dogs. And uh, they, uh, you know, they, they're, they're a great little dog as far as uh, prey drive and desire is concerned. They're, they're a real hunting machine. And uh, many of the kennels that, uh, that breed them, not so much in Germany these days, and I suppose I'll create lots of them in the same, but more in the Eastern Bloc, um, to, to be versatile hunting dogs. And, uh, there, there are other specialist areas that uh, that these dogs are used in, where um, I suppose the, the versatility doesn't come to the fore. But uh, most of the people in Europe that use them use them as versatile hunting dogs. Places like uh, say say Serbia and some of the other Eastern Bloc countries, uh, they do use them as competition dogs a lot. You know, for uh, you know. Working on working on fox and and badger underground in artificial uh, dens. Uh, that's that's not legal in uh, in Germany and, and many other places in Europe. Our uh, our friends in other parts of Europe uh, aren't all that bothered about that, so they continue to breed some very very hard dogs. And yeah, I'm a, I'm gonna be a little bit hard on the American the American people. <clears throat> we. Uh, we normally are not good about history or geography. That's that's just the overall general rule. So when we talk about uh, Eastern Bloc countries, I'm going to try to lay this out a little bit. You know, you've got you've got the the big the big pond that separates the United States from <laughs> England, and then across the channel you've got Europe, and then you've got Germany that kind of lays in the middle of of that that European continent, which, and then you've got the Eastern Bloc countries that lay between Germany and Russia. Okay, so, and I, I don't mean to be facetious, but but you know I'm I'm trying to trying to lay this out because Eastern Bloc is something that um, a lot of people don't don't think about. It's not something that we use. Uh, that terminology is not something that. I mean, we'll we'll see it on the news occasionally, or we'll hear the term kicked around, but but knowing exactly where that is <clears throat> is not not something that that all Americans. It's not common knowledge, is what I'm trying to say. It's not that we're we're all dummies. It's just that it's not common knowledge. So you're coming from that Serbian Eastern Bloc, but I have a question before we get too too deep into this whole thing. But so. What is it with the Germans and dogs that are black and tan? Uh, you've got the Doberman, you've got the Yog Terrier, you've got the Rottweiler. All of them are predominantly black dogs, and then they've got the tan trim on them, much like the black and tan Coonhound uh, with the pumpkin seed spots above the eyes. 
What is it about the Germans in that in that color configuration? Was there some crossover there, uh, or was there a separation of genetics that created all three of those breeds? Or do you do you know the answer to that? I think it's far more by design than by by fluke. Um, the the Germans they do they do have a a, a definite uh, penchant for uh, for black and tan dogs, and they even have. Um, so they're Bavarian mountain hounds. They're they're uh, they're not a common uh, dog, but you know they're black and tan as well. As are several other European type dogs. But uh, as you say, the um, the Rottweilers, the Dobermans, uh, the York Terriers, all share very similar similar colouring. Um, I don't think that colouring was was a major issue in the first instance. But I think when they when they what they call themselves cynologists or dog breeding people back in the the middle of an or early 19th century, around, uh, around 1915, they decided they wanted to breed a, a genuine German hunting dog or hunting terrier. And uh, they bred them down from various other breeds, but they definitely concentrated on keeping any other colour apart from black and tan out of the breed. So uh, the, breed, yeah. the breed standard pretty well says these things have got to be black and tan with very few exceptions. Now, you do get brown and tan, and you also get uh, uh, a little bit of um, uh, white splattered here and there, usually on the chest and occasionally on a, on a front toe, but uh, they, they tend not to, mm-hmm. they tend not to, they, they don't like any white on them, and they don't like any, uh, any brown on them. But, uh, but as the Serbs, as the Serbs say, look, they'll breed the best dogs to the best dogs as far as they're as far as the purpose is concerned, you have to hunt and to, and to compete with. And so they breed best, what you're saying is best of best absolute, is their, their common breeding practice. Of course, absolute best of best. Now, in Germany, there is a breeding, uh, as, as in many other hunting breeds in Germany, there's, there's an organisation that, um, that pretty well tell you what needs to happen to Yark Terriers in order to breed them. Uh, you can't. To have a registered Yark Terrier in Germany, that dog not only has to, has it does it have to pass, pardon me, a, um, a confirmation test. It also needs to pass uh, various breed tests, which mean you know the, the dog needs to be able to cover all those points, um, both in confirmation and physically, and its ability to hunt mm-hmm. uh, before they'll allow you to breed them. And uh, they do that with quite a few breeds and. There's organisations that have popped up worldwide, including in the US, that uh, they have these testing organisations. Um, other countries don't have formal testing organisations, and their their testing is generally done in the you know in real time. You know, the things are going to get out there and hunt. They're going to hunt their hearts out if, uh, if they don't if they don't cut the mustard in the field. They're not bred with. And uh, as I'm sure. You- so they have to they have to they have to look like a yog terrier. They've got to pass. Hunting, hunting. Uh, they're setting the bar on on hunting traits. Until you do that, you cannot breed a Yog Terrier in Germany. For uh, t- you can't, you can't, you just simply can't breed them. Is that what I'm hearing you That's say? Pretty well, the, the dogs, the the, the male, the males and the females, the breeding stock, have to be authorized for breeding by a breed warden in Germany. Uh, in order to, a breed warden they have a breed warden the same as the same as the Deutsche people have uh, there is there, there's actually a Deutsche organization in North America at the moment the, the, the terrier 
version of that is pretty well the same or very similar. That the tests apply more to the terrier than they do to the draughts. You know, like terriers don't point, uh, but you know, the, the, they they test things like um, you know blood tracking ability, um, love of water, uh, obedience, all of those good natural hunting abilities that, that we all look for in our versatile hunting dogs. That's what they apply the tests to. Um, and the, the Germans continue to do it. And they say that the way that they do things, they produce the best dogs in the world. And arguably that is uh, definitely the case. Unfortunately, there's, there's things that they can no longer do in Germany to test the dogs due to various uh, animal welfare laws, etc. So um, you then, hmm. you've, then got, you've then got people like our friends from the Eastern Bloc, Serbs, uh, of which um, I'm, I'm a full-blooded Serb, even though I was raised in Australia. My my family background is Serbian, so uh, I'm fortunate enough to uh, to have a very good network of um, of friends over there who are died in the wool terrier and hunting men, and that they have these dogs that uh, are uh, you know top-class hunting dogs, and that, that's where I've been able to source them. And uh, look, it's it's not hard to get the it is, sorry, it is hard to get the real McCoy. As you know, in the US with uh, with a lot of your hound breeds, you can't just wander out and, and get yourself a good hound. You know, there's a, there's a lot of research no. and there's a, lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of connection that you need to have. And it, it, it's no different to the top quality dogs uh, in Serbia and, and in the Ukraine and in Russia and Slovakia and Croatia and Spain and all those places where these dogs are used quite a lot. So there's a lot of similarities in quality dogs, and you know how to get them, and it's it's certainly not an easy process. You know it, when you when you sit here and you think about when you just think about how does a newcomer find quality stock? It, it's always better to begin your hunting career with some success, and you, you look at. Where do I go to get this success? And you, you mentioned hounds. And until you're in hound, you know, you've been a houndsman for a few years and you've been exposed to a lot of different hounds. That is a really hard thing for people to do to understand where I go to get what I need to be successful, to 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 be happy. Well, it, it's a lot of people think that it's simple, but it's, it's far from a simple process. It doesn't matter how much money you've got or... Um, you know how, how well you are connected. You you, you need to find the, the dogs that you're looking for for the application you have to use them. And uh, I, I couldn't find any in Australia when I was looking for you know for top quality hunting dogs purely because you know we're we're, we're a bit of a backwater as far as uh, quality bred dogs is concerned. Most of the dogs that are bought into Australia are bought in by the show people and. Uh, Unfortunately, mm -hmm. and, and I say this with the highest level of respect to the show people, like they like a dog to look pretty and stand on a bench and, and uh, you know, be attractive to a judge. Uh, that's it. That's also important with other hunting breeds, with, with other breeds, but it's not, not enough. The dogs need to be able to do what, what it is that they were bred for. And unfortunately, in Australia, as in other places, um, there's no test that applies to whether or not the dog can do the work it's supposed to do. 
No, they do have they have you know gun dog clubs here where they do field trials and stuff like that. But you know as well as I do, a lot of that stuff's fine. But uh, the the real test of these dogs is what happens out in the field when you're hunting. And uh, if the dogs can't cut the mustard in the field, um, they're not well, they're not you know they're not doing their job. They're not they shouldn't be bred with. I, I had to travel to Europe, so, to Europe to get the, the dogs that I was looking for purely purely because it didn't have the didn't have the uh, the raw material here. Is Australia organised in that aspect where there are hunters over there that are that are uh, setting up hunt tests or qualifications? Has Australia evolved into that, or what's what's the landscape look like over there beyond the show ring? Look, look. The show ring seems to be the um, the test that everybody applies uh, under the Australian National Kennel Council. There is, even though they're affiliated to the FCI, and don't ask me to explain what the FCI is. <laughs> Google it. It's a it's a very long word. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the FCI in Europe um, actually, in many, many cases, actually have a testing process. Uh, you know, a, a natural ability testing process for hunting dogs and working dogs. Uh, that that doesn't apply in Australia, and uh, it's it, the Australian breeding of, or breeding of dogs in Australia is is pretty well um, restricted to the show dogs. Anybody that wants to bring dogs, performance dogs, in generally does it uh, off their own bat. So you, if you want to go and get yourself some some top quality hounds. If you want to get yourself some top quality terriers or versatile hunting breeds, you've got to uh, pretty well go over over to uh, the places that, uh, that where they breed these dogs. My terriers, you know, they come uh, they come from, uh, as I say, the Eastern Bloc. I've got a couple of terriers that, that came from the Eastern Bloc via the USA. Some with some with some very good friends I have over there, and you know we we share genetics and all that sort of stuff. So. The world's no longer a, a small place. Uh, sorry, it's no longer a big place. It's a small place, and uh, once, you, mm-hmm. once you've got your network, once you've got your network of, uh, I suppose, trusted uh, friends uh, in place, that's when you can start moving a few dogs about uh, and and making sure. That- yeah, you can you can watch a YouTube video and figure out how to fix your truck or import a hunting dog from Serbia. <laughs> You know, <laughs> oh, exactly. it's exactly. it's no longer a, it's no longer a big place. No, look, the world, the world's not a big place, and uh, you know, I think just what we're doing now, just uh, you know, speaking to each other across the world for this podcast. Um, I'm for, absolutely the, the network that the network I've developed with with uh, like-minded hunters from from the US and from Europe is uh, is fairly big, and um, the level of expertise. Uh, Makes you feel very humble. There's, there's people out there that have forgotten more about terriers and hounds than I'll ever know, and uh, I'm, I'm humbled to, to, to be, you know, in, in the loop with them. Yeah. So I'm definitely walking. I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, and uh, some of these giants don't even know they're giants. You know? They don't have, they don't have the internet. Well, I think that they don't have the internet right. and things like that. Yeah, they and they don't care if they have the internet or five thousand likes on Instagram or you know six thousand followers on Facebook. They don't care. They're just out here doing their thing, and that's you know I, I love I love those guys and and uh, 
that's what the Houndsman XP podcast is all about is, is we want to bring those people to the, to the limelight. You know, we want to bring them out and show people that, man, you know, it's still out there and it still exists. But, uh, so we, we started to talk about, um, we started to talk about breeders in the United States and, and we had this conversation off air. You asked us how many Australians were listening to the Houndsman XP podcast. And, and you're like, they're, they're a third, um, on our, you know, when you look at the world map and you, I can see where people download the podcast and things like that. Australia is number three. And, um, it's, it's a, testament that that people in australia are still uh you know trying to to hunt and they're trying to use these dogs so what kind of things are you up against in australia uh to be able to have a usable dog and and the victoria houndsman uh, hunters has to be instrumental in some of that so so give us give us a brief brief thing on the on that what that landscape looks like before we get to that, we've got to pay a few bills. Briar Creek Kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter. Boots, lights, collars, and tracking equipment. Dog boxes, kennel supplies, collars, clothes, squalors. Whew, they have it all. Briar Creek Kennel is a garment and dog tree dealer. Owner Chris Girth will ensure Briar Creek Kennel customers will get top of the industry customer service. Whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event, Chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer. Chris Girth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. Australia, just to illustrate a couple of things, too. Australia has still got a lot of wild places, places where hunters can go and hunt with their dogs. And, um, it's the culture, you know, is is still there. The hunting culture is still there, um, even though there's there are those that are desperately trying to uh, to uh, you know, I suppose diminish it or ruin it. Uh, it's very hard to suppress and. Um, you know, guys, guys hunt with dogs here. They have since uh, since this country, um, since you know white settlement here in, uh, occurred, and even before white settlement, uh, our indigenous people are, are all dog hunters. They all hunt with dogs, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. it, it, the, the tradition of hunting with dogs goes back a long, long way. Um, the, the issues that we have here, I suppose, are no different to the issues that you have anywhere in the US or overseas. People. Uh, don't identify hunting as being something that uh, the uh, that we do these days, you know. So they're constantly looking for opportunities to, uh, I suppose, ban it or, or restrict it to a level where um, we can't do it anymore. But uh, don't worry, there's plenty of us still that go hunting and uh, that, that are keen breeders of dogs and we get out in the bush and we chase all the relevant critters that... Uh, that we've always chased. <laughs> we have everything from you know, from feral cats to foxes uh, to feral pigs. Um, 
there's there's also there's all sorts of other introduced species here. All of the six introduced deer species, uh, some of which uh, it's it's lawful to hunt dogs with. Um, in, in particular, in here in Victoria, which is on the southern part of Australia, at the bottom of the Great Dividing Range, um, we can hunt sambar, which are a very large uh, deer, slightly smaller than an elk, generally. We can hunt them with hounds, and they, they've given us three separate uh, types of dogs are allowed to use. You, you, there's actually regulations that regulate all that stuff. So we can use scent hounds. That's where I'm. That's where I'm wanting to go. Well, we, Th yeah. Thanks. For, you're, it's like you're reading my mind. We took the tourist route getting there, but I'm, I'm sure I'm sure we'll get through to it. So <laughs> they've they've um, they've allowed they've allowed hunters in Victoria to use three, as I said, three different types of dogs. The first. Um, type is what they call the gun dog and it covers all of those versatile breeds everything from you know pointers through to setters to um, the spaniels and any pretty well any any of those types of breeds you can use they um i suppose call them companion dogs or whatever you want um, they figured that uh, you could use two of those at a time to go and hunt samba then they have the uh the the, the deer hunting dog group which includes Dogs like Jack Russell Terriers, uh, German Hunting Terriers, and a, a few other breeds of smaller type dogs. And then the third is the hounds. And then uh, they, they restrict, they, they even restrict us on the type of hounds that we can have. So we can have uh, uh, Bloodhounds, Harriers, and Beagles. They're the only three breeds that can legally be used at this stage to hunt uh, Samba with. And, uh, the, Really? Oh, yeah. there's, there's a lot of political thrust and parry that went on regarding the restriction of using any other hounds. Like many of us uh, would be very keen to be able to use any of the coon hound breeds or, uh, or the fox hound breeds to hunt deer because they're the most appropriate breeds for that type of purpose, hound breeds for that type, for that purpose. But um, <coughs> they, they decided they wanted to, um, to manage, uh, in inverted commas, the hound hunting in Victoria, and they restricted the breeds, thinking that uh, by restricting the breeds, they would slow down hunts and uh, and be able to manage hunters a little bit better. But uh, nothing could be further from, mm -hmm. nothing could be further from the truth. You know, if you apply any any scientific principles or any legal principles to to that uh, situation, uh, yeah, it just doesn't cut the mustard. Uh, right? And we're, we're testing that all the time. So bring it. I hear you. I hear you. So bringing this back to Yog Terriers, I want I want to know. So the, the whole Yog Terrier, any terrier, you're you're hunting a sambar deer with a Yog Terrier. Describe to me how that hunt goes. It's not it's it's not a blood trailing. It's not you know it, you're actually using. Tell well you tell us you tell me how you use. And implement the Yog Terrier into your sandbar hunts. Right, I'll, I'll give you a quick context. Um, we're not allowed to use hounds uh, for certain parts of the year. So between, we we're legally allowed to hunt sambar between April and November uh, here in, in Australia using scent hounds. Right now, at other times we can still hunt sambar using other types of dogs, including gun dogs and deer hunting dogs, of which Yog Terriers are a legitimate breed or a permitted breed those dogs we 
they don't hunt the same towns they do. They're much smaller dogs. You, gotta, you need to understand a Yag Terrier is uh, you know, 10 kilos ringing wet as an adult. You know, the tall ones stand between 13 and 16. You're going to make me do math, Alex. Yeah, well, the, the tall one will stand You'll between make... 13 and 16 inches at the shoulder, and uh, a big one weighs about 20 pounds. There, it's, see, that's how much smarter Australians are than Americans, because you already knew that. And I was getting ready to fire up Google here uh, and look good. up how much 10 kilos was. It's all good, man. I'll, I'll yeah. take the pressure off you. Seth, Seth already knows all this stuff. Yeah, Seth, Seth, uh, Seth's very cool. He's, he's uh, very, uh, very decimal. I mean, that's good to see. <laughs> that's right. So, look, basically, with, with, with yep. the terriers, uh, the, the hunting techniques aren't that different, even though we sort of, we, we hunt in smaller chunks of country, right? So... Um, I've got dogs that that'll, that'll you call rigging. You know, you have a dog in the back of a truck and it barks when it smells something. Yep. I've got terriers that'll do that, no problem. And uh, oftentimes I don't keep them in a box. I keep, really? I keep them in front of the truck with me, you know, and I've got to wind the window down just so they can get their nose out. And uh, when, <laughs> when they start doing backflips and screaming their lungs out in the front of the truck, that's when you open the door and, you, and it's action stations. But uh, the thing is... That is so cool. They're just, it's like using itty-bitty hounds, but uh, they've, got, they've got much more drive than a hound as far as uh, prey drive is concerned. And, you know, I'll get a lot of argument with that, but you need to see these dogs hunt to, to appreciate how they do business. You know? It sounds like a seized, I... seized bearing tearing through the bush at 200 mile an hour, just screaming its heart out, trying to get to it. Uh, that quarry, and when you consider that the animal that they're chasing may weighs well over 300 pounds and up to 600 pounds, uh, and this dog that weighs 20 pounds is chasing them through the through the forest. Oftentimes, I've, I've shot numerous deer that have been uh, baited up by yak terriers, and they just stand there looking at these things, saying, "What the hell are you?" You know, they tiny little thing barking at them. <laughs> you know, and they'll often just stand there looking at the dog. The, the, the dogs generally won't close with them, they'll bay them. And then uh, as a hunter, you, um, you, know, you, you you shoot the animal as it's bayed. Other times, um, we shoot them when they're on the move. Um, we, we, put, we set hunters up in strategic positions, in, you know, on, on spurs and in saddles. No different to what you guys do with mountain lions and bears over there. And uh, you shoot them as they cross, or shoot them on the way uh, to where they're going. The thing is, uh, we, we, we haven't got, apart from feral cats, we haven't got anything here that really trees. But uh, <laughs> it, in my other life, I, I, I actually run a, um, an animal damage control business, or a pest control business, and uh, I use yard terriers yep. quite extensively um, for, for finding uh, invasive species, you know, things, things like... Um, like cats and uh, and foxes, both in an urban context and and in um, you know in forest and rural context as well. So they're a fantastic working dog. They're also really good at um, at blood blood trailing. You know, and a lot of guys in the US actually use them as blood trailing dogs because they're fairly small. They can um, right. they can get through heavy cover pretty good, um, and then they're pretty easy to manage on a uh, on a lead on a tracking lead. I know you. I know you've got a, um, a background on, on tracking, so instead of getting, mm-hmm. instead of getting dragged around by a 
you know, fifty pound dog, you get dragged around by a twenty pound dog. You know? So the right, they're, they're, right. they're really good at that sort of stuff. So blood blood tracking is is good. You know, we're we're recovering game that would would never have been recovered normally. Um, you know, had you not have had a dog, and you know, the arcteries fit into that uh, into that space pretty well. But as as far as um, scent trailing is concerned, um, I, I hesitate to say that they they've got a nose as good as a hand, but by gee, they're close. <laughs> they're close, you know. Uh, yeah. They, 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 well, hey, I'll tell you what. You know, I th I think I think um, a lot of times we automatically think. We've done. We've we've had a lot, quite a few conversations about sending and the sending out on this podcast. Um, but when you take a dog, you take a breed of dog like the Yog Terrier. That I mean, he's got a long for his body size. He has a very long nasal plane. Uh, he's been bred specifically for those attributes. And I would say that the ones that I have seen are phenomenal. They've got a, they've got a phenomenal olfactory system the development of that olfactory system their ability to scent is is really surprising to the point that and i've i've got a very limited exposure to them but but i've been really surprised Mate, look most terriers that i've had much to do with um uh are, yeah a sort of mediocre average sort of scent dogs and those dogs uh you, you compare say jack russells and border terriers and fox terriers and uh, and so-called Paddedale Terriers and Fell Terriers. Um, yeah, they've definitely got noses that work and they're significantly better than uh, having no dog. But uh, these Yark Terriers are something else as far as uh, <laughs> noses. Better than having no dog. <laughs> Just, just lay it right. Just lay it out there, Alex. <laughs> well, ter ter a lot of terriers just, yeah, you know, they're not renowned for the their scenting ability. But uh, the way that the Germans uh, bred these dogs and uh, the, the, their ability to isolate uh, these traits um, is is pretty good. And we'll be right back after we get this quick word from our sponsor. Check out Dogs Are Treat at dogsartreat.com. And if you go to their website at checkout and enter the code HXP 20% off, you will get 20% off of your entire order on all of their branded products. Leashes, tieouts, medical kits, paws are protected. Build your pack from the ground up and support a fellow houndsman that supports your lifestyle. Enter the code HXP 20% off. At checkout, go to their website today at dogsartreed.com. This portion of the Houndsman XP podcast is also brought to you by Dakota 283, offering you superior protection for your hounds. Kennels, waterers, all kinds of cool gear. Check them out at dakota283.com. And at checkout, enter the promo code HXP10 and get 10% off of your entire order. Without totally sidetracking this whole podcast, I mean, I want to hear about Yogs, but we are so lost when it comes to understanding the power of a dog's nose. I had I had my boxer, and I, I throw her in the truck with me when I when I go bear hunting, and I put her on the rig rack, and I I, I kind of do it because people think it's funny, but she absolutely when when it's a it's a like a a box shaking 
a bear across the road not to she will she will start barking and you can just watch her demeanor uh when i'm out with her and stuff it, she will actually start air scenting and stuff like that so i mean that's a boxer i mean they got a nasal plane of two inches so we're completely lost when we're trying to comprehend the power of a dog's nose it's beyond it's beyond anything that we can even fathom of course it is um and I, I think, um, yeah, the day that that can be actually quantified in some way um, will be it'll be a good day when they work out just how to do it. But um, it's not so much just the nose. I think, you know, obviously the dogs with all the the genetic predispositions to be able to smell well and identify things easy uh, are great. But the the ability for the dog to connect uh, what it smells with the operational context of what it does. Uh, that's that's the key. You know, a lot of dogs can smell stuff, but they can't work out how to, what they need to do once they smell it. And, and I think all hunters know, you know, why you can have two two belly brother hounds. Uh, one could be a champion dog, a cold trail, and the other dog won't even smell things that uh, that, that you know are there. So that's that's something that we need to think about. Uh, you know, how, how does that message from go from the tip of the nose into the brain? and evoke a response. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the yog, the yog is, is, uh, so tell me what you're looking for in a yog terrier. How many generations are you into breeding your own stock there in, in Australia? I've got a, I've got a few bloodlines going here. I'm fortunate enough to, uh, to have dogs that are from various different parts of Serbia. Um, I've been breeding these dogs, um, from about 2007, um, I got my first yard terriers, and um, since then, I've, uh, I've refined, uh, you know, what my goals are as far as these dogs are concerned. I have dogs that I use pretty well, uh, pretty well solely to hunting samba with, and I've got other dogs that, that we use for work. With, with you know, as I explained earlier, regarding you know, tracking and locating uh, introduced predatory species. And uh, the, the, there's different traits that, that I've looked for to, to breed to. And um, I suppose I'll, I'll spend the rest of my days refining that, as, as I'm sure most hound hunters in the US are doing. You, you breed for traits, uh, you, you breed for quality, and you, you breed to continuously improve uh, what you've got. I suppose history is our judge. You know? In 50 years' time, somebody will be saying, that guy uh, didn't know what he was doing when he was breeding these terriers. Or he might say, "Oh, you had some. Yeah. You had some idea." You know, it's uh, it's hard it's hard to quantify any of this sort of stuff. But uh, I suppose the best we can do is is breed the dogs that um, for the purposes that, that we want to use them for. And um, fortunately, with what I do, that there are other people that, that are keen to use the dogs for the purposes that I want to use them for. And, and look, with Terry's so. Sorry, go ahead. Go no, no. Finish your thought. With with, with terriers, um, there, there there are there are a lot of traits that that, that are desirable, and, and there are some that are that, that are not desirable. Like if you've got a terrier that doesn't want to kill everything he sees, he's not much of a terrier. You know, that's the that's the <laughs> that's right. the truth of the matter. I've got terriers here. That doesn't matter what it is. If it's alive, they want to make it dead, and that's pretty well how it works. And initially, that's what they were bred for. <laughs> yeah. 
your ability as a trainer to be able to stop that impulse and and train around that impulse is important. So they're not a dog for everyone. If you if you're just a casual sort of dude that doesn't bother training his dog, don't get yourself a yak terrier. Right? You're going to get yourself into trouble. I was going to go to the pitfalls of people that want yogs, but yeah, again, Alex, it's like you're reading my mind. I want to know what is a disqualification for you. You see a trait in a dog, and you're like, "That is not a breeding stock dog." Well, my dogs have to have an absolute desire to hunt. That they have to, they've got to have that drive, that prey drive, and they've got to, no matter what, they've got to get to that that critter. Uh, if they're indifferent, or if they if if they lose focus, you know, that's that's a that's a deal breaker pretty well straight away. You know. They've got to, no matter what, they've got to have that desire to hunt. And uh, it's probably one of the hardest things to breed for. Um, also, I suppose biddability is something that's pretty important. And you find with um, with any of the terrier breeds or the good the good terrier breeds, sometimes they, they, uh, they practice self-rewarding a little bit more than they ought to. So, you know. Explain that. Explain that. Well, with... with uh, a lot of dogs, when when we train dogs, we, we generally you know, use various techniques, including operant conditioning and all of that sort of stuff. I won't bore you with the details, but um, oftentimes you, you, you give the dog a reward for doing something that it, do, that it does correctly. So it's po- positive reinforcement. Um, mm-hmm. From time to time, no matter what value reward you can give them, is nowhere near what they can reward themselves with. Right, so, so if if, if, I, if I'm going to let a dog play with a Kong toy, or he's going to grab a pussy cat out of a tree and shake the piss out of it, you know for a fact that he's always going to try to grab that pussy cat. You know, so as a, right. as a trainer, you need to be able to read the play, and you need to be able to manage your dog. Uh, there's no different to hound dogs or any other breed. You know, if you if you've got a hound dog that won't that won't chase. Uh, or that the, won't put its head down and, and its and its ass up and uh, go and try to find something to hunt, or or sniff the air trying to find something to hunt. You haven't got much of a hound dog. Even as little puppies, you can tell with you can tell with these uh, yard terriers that uh, they um, which ones are going to hunt, and which ones are going to be indifferent. But I've, I've yet to see one that's indifferent. There's some champion hunters, but there's the, the rest of them are pretty good. There's a, there, you know, you always get yeah. you always get the dog that's a standout, but um, the the good honest a good honest yak terrier, um, you know, they're sort of par for the course. I've yet to see anything that's a that's a dud that won't that won't hunt nat- naturally. Uh, I've seen them ruined by by people that don't know what they're doing. You know, overuse of shock collars and silly stuff like that. Um, or, or the dog, the dog's not being trained at all, or being trained in a, in a way that um, doesn't bring the best out of the dog. But as I, I, you know, I'm saying this in the context of a bloke that's ruined a lot of dogs, I, I've ruined many, many dogs over the last fifty years, uh, just through sheer ignorance. And uh, I'm learning, I'm learning every day. You know, and I try not, I try not to ruin too many these days. If, if there's somebody sitting out there and they're thinking, man, these dogs sound really cool. Uh, and I, I run into this a lot with plots. You know, people think, 
you know, I, I want I want to get into plots and or you can look at it even from the equestrian side with mules. Um, but they don't really know what they're getting into. And what would be your advice to someone who's sitting out there thinking, you know, it might be cool to have a yog carrier. What is some advice that you can give that person, maybe a forewarning uh, to keep them from, from either not being successful with his training or just simply going crazy trying to figure out, you know, uh, there's nothing worse than a, than a, a, a high performance dog going into the wrong situation and, and being wasted there. Um, and, and people not being prepared to handle what they're going to get. So, so what advice would you have some for somebody that thinks they might want to get a yog terrier? Well, look, there's a number of pieces of advice, but the, one of the one of the adages that I use quite a lot is I'd far rather uh, tame a tiger than push a turtle, <clears throat> and yard terriers are tigers; they are not turtles. You don't need to teach these things how to hunt. They, that's in them. It's in their DNA. It's in their very essence. Uh, mm-hmm. You need to learn how to manage them. So before you get any performance dog, in particular yard terriers, um, you need to go out and learn how to train dogs, learn how to handle dogs, learn how to learn how to train them, learn as much as you possibly can about training dogs. They're just a dog the same as any other dog. And the training techniques vary, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> the training techniques vary uh, according to, uh, to your circumstances. So unless you actually know uh, what training techniques to apply, what, to, uh, what te- techniques to use and what's available, you're short selling yourself and you're not giving your dog a fair chance. So I, I actually listened to Heath Hyatt uh, uh, on your podcast talking about training dogs and high drive dogs, and uh, he's a, he's absolute he's a genius when it comes to that sort of stuff. Being able to articulate um, training high drive dog, and getting getting back to the Arcterias, a, a lot of people, as as with you know pit bulls and all those tough guy dogs, a lot of people get these dogs for the idea of having a having a tough dog or a good dog. They don't really understand what responsibility goes with it. And the responsibility isn't just feeding it and, uh, and housing it. The responsibility is, is training it and, uh, and using the dog for what it's meant to do. So unless you can train the dog, unless you can use the dog, you know, for what it's bred to do, just get yourself set, get something out of the pound, get a, you know, a pet of some sort and uh, just have a friendly dog instead of, Instead of one of these high-powered types. I, under, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's so I'll just try to maybe paint a word picture here. But, you know, certain people that have dogs and and they have no desire to understand training and things like that. From what I'm hearing you saying about the, the drive, the prey drive, the high drive of the Yog Terrier, it's going to take somebody who is dedicated and an advanced type trainer to get the most out of that and have the most pleasurable experience. Um, I agree. You can, you can find plenty of, plenty of dogs. Go get a, if, if you just need a dog to hang out with you, then go get a golden retriever. Um, exactly. You know they're happy, yeah. and and you know they pick up on some of that stuff. But but 
man, when you start getting into terrier breeds, uh, that's what fascinates me so much about it is it's, 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 it's a hot, it's like the next level, you know, even as hounds, um, as a houndsman and having hound breeds and things like that, hounds are pretty pliable when it comes to training. Um, they're not, they've got the genetic makeup. They understand what their job is and you just kind of mold it and, and push it in the right direction. And, and with terriers, then you have to be a little more assertive and be more involved in the training process and speak on that a little bit, Alex. Yeah, but with, with, with terriers, in particular yak terriers, and, and I've had a fair bit to do with various other breeds, um, you, you need to be involved in the training process from the outset and, and just apply good dog training techniques. Not, you, don't, you don't need a degree in rocket science to train a dog. It's fairly bargain basement stuff. Right. You know? and it, it, from when they're little puppies, when you first get them, you... You, you start training them and you start conditioning them. There is no difference to doing that to any other breed of dog. The thing is that the repercussions of poor training or a lack of training are significantly higher with high drive dogs. You can imagine somebody with a Malinois that wasn't trained properly or any of these police dogs, right. you know. Um, it, it, it ends in tears. It ends in tears for the person that's being bitten on the other end and it also ends in tears for you. When, uh, when you find yourself in front of a court getting sued. Um, yeah, with, with, with these young... Same thing goes for, for the Ameri American Pitbull Terrier is a perfect example of that. Well, Yag Terriers are, in many ways, uh, mirror what goes on with pit bulls. You know, the, the, these dogs are much smaller than pit bulls, generally. And um, they... They don't know it. They've got plenty of drive. And uh, if... If they're not managed properly, they, they can cause heartache and tears for everyone involved. So unless you're prepared to, yeah. unless you're prepared to do extra, um, don't get one. That's pretty well. It, they, it, look, these dogs are, are ruined uh, by all, all, all performance dogs. Sooner or later are ruined by scatter breeding, uh, people breeding them for the wrong reasons, people mismanaging them. And they get they get labelled with, oh, no, these dogs are no good because they're too savage and too wild, or they're crazy. Um, this is this, these are the sort of things that you hear from people that are ignorant, that don't understand exactly what's going on. And this, right. you know, they, people right. say, yeah, plot hounds are too hard and too gritty and that sort of stuff. Um, this this comes from people who don't know what they're talking about. You know, uh, you you breed you breed your dogs for a trait. You breed your dogs to do things that you want it want them to do and uh, there's no difference to the terriers um, and I'm very selective I'm very selective on who I who I sell these dogs to and I, I vet them pretty well I've, I've, there's a lot of people that have got their nose out of joint because I wouldn't sell them a dog I don't reckon they're the sort of guy that uh, that, that, that needs one uh, or that could do, would do the right thing by the dog you know invariably you, you know that the dog will either come back right. come back wind up in a pound somewhere or wind, you know, worse still get, you know, get run over or killed, um, you know, unnecessarily and avoidably. If they're properly managed, uh, that doesn't happen. And look, I, I suppose as a breeder, uh, I always say to people, no matter what happens, um, if, that, if you need to get rid of the dog or if you can no longer hang on to the dog, ring me first and tell me. 
and I'll take the dog back. Because uh, I, I genuinely, know, I know what goes into to making these dogs and I genuinely want to see them uh, live a long and happy life for as long and a happier life as I possibly can. That's why I'm very careful who I sell them to. I, I guess, I guess I, this just came to me, Alex. You know, we talk often about uh, the animal rights, anti-hunting, animal zealot crowd that makes emotional decisions rather than factual, common sense, scientific back decisions. And, and terriers, the yogs that you're talking about is the same way. If you're going to make an emotional decision, I want, I, I think it'd be cool to have a yog with a pair of sunglasses on hanging out of the front of my truck. You know, don't get a yog terrier. It's, it's not for you. Uh, I see it in hounds as well. And it's across the board. I've seen everything from border collies those dogs need a job. They're not cool dogs to hang out in a condominium in a suburban neighborhood and just be your buddy all the time. Absolutely. I mean, if you're a dog trainer and you can, you can manage, you can manage that, then that's, that's all good. But if you are just looking for a low maintenance type dog that, that you want to hang out with you and be cool, stay away from it. The breeders, the Yog Terrier breeders, the Hound breeders, the performance dog breeders, we don't care if you buy one of our dogs. We don't need you to buy one of our dogs. We we want the best for them. And a, a working dog that doesn't have a job, it ends up being a problem dog every time. Guaranteed. Absolutely guaranteed. Um, I've seen it happen time and time again. That's why I don't like releasing dogs to people that um, that I don't trust. I know, I know it's a big order. That, it's a big order, but it's 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 one of those things. If if I if I think, I suppose it comes from years of being a cop. You know, you you, you make a very. Yeah, I think it you does. Make a short. You and I are on the same page there. You make a short assessment on what you reckon this guy is going to be like, and uh, a lot of guys can talk the talk, but they can't walk the walk. And uh, my my man, I I tell you what. My attitude is to absolutely. Get, I mean, get them to show me that they can walk the walk, and I'll sell them a dog. Yeah, that's the biggest hurdle for us, uh, for for people. And I don't consider myself a breeder, but but people who who raise dogs to be able to get those dogs in the right spots. And I mean, I mean, that's the biggest stressful. That's the most stressful part of raising a litter of pups for me if i if i can't keep them all then finding those spots where they need to go um i i absolutely uh stay awake at night thinking about man this pup went here i'm not sure about this person and i've gotten past that but that that was some of my hurdles in the early days if i'm not sure i don't sell them a dog full stop end of story that's that's where i've gotten to as well and and if I know that they're not they're not up to the task, they don't get one. They don't get one. I I, I, I use the easy come easy go uh, scenario. You know, the, these guys come up with a pocket full of money. I, yeah. I want one of these dogs, and you know, and it's a given that they know what they're doing. And I think to themselves, mate, if you can't convince me that you actually do know what you're doing and you're prepared to look after this thing and and train it and get the best out of it, yeah, you're, you're not going to get it. Go and buy yourself something else. And you don't make many friends doing that. Yeah, you know a lot of people get their nose. No, get their nose out no, of joint. He, <laughs> he's arrogant. 
Yeah, he's arrogant. He wouldn't sell me a pup. You get your name drug through the mud. But at the end of the day, you got to do what you got to do. And and sorry about your luck, but I think any serious serious breeder of working dogs, uh, the most accomplished breeders that I know, they're not worried about that. They don't care. It's like go buy a golden go go find a golden retriever. I don't care what you do. <laughs> exactly. Uh, look, the thing is, uh, the core of people that actually that do have these dogs to hunt with, you, you know them straight away. You can tell in a very short period of time you know, the sort of person that, that they are. And, you know, the guys, unless they live to hunt and live for dogs, um, you can tell straight away. You know, I'll get young guys turn up here to go come hound hunting with me. And you can pick which ones are going to make it and which ones aren't. You know, these these guys that'll go the extra mile just to, to go and recover a dog that could be four or five miles away in some distant gully, uh, just to go and to go and track him down and find him and bring him back. And the guy that the guy that goes out of his way, you know, he comes home from a hard day's work to go and feed these things and take them out and run them. Yeah, you know, they're the sort of people that uh, that make good dog people, not guys that throw them in a. It goes right back to. It goes back to what my buddy Mike Colley says. We've used this line a million times on this podcast, but it, it stands true. Nobody's ever proven it wrong. If you want to know which which dog out of a litter is going to be the best dog, the one that you hunt the most. And it doesn't matter if you come back from a day of in the in the you know the digging ditches all day. If you, if you've got the energy to put your boots on and take him hunting. He's gonna. You got a better chance of making a good dog. You got to find the energy, buddy. You got to find the energy. You got to find the time. If you haven't got the energy yep. or the time, get out of it. Take up fishing. Do something else. But you're not a dog man. <laughs> and you're a fisherman. I'm a fisherman. You're a fisherman. <laughs> a, the older I get, the more of a fisherman I am. I'm too. I'm here to tell you. All right, so so this is this is the last question I got about Yog Terriers, and uh, then we'll wrap this up. But uh, so, you know, typically a bear hunter in the United States will have hounds, and they'll have hounds on the rig, and they'll they'll. It, is it feasible to think that I could take a build a pack of bear dogs out of Yog Terriers? Is that feasible for me to? Do they have the olfactory sense, the tracking ability, the grit, the endurance, all of that stuff, to be able to do that with the Yog Terrier? There's guys doing it now. They're doing it as we speak. There's there's guys that hunt bobcats, mountain lions, and bears with Yog Terriers very successfully, and hogs and all sorts of those other critters that they hunt down there in Texas. Uh, and uh, look, they, these are great dogs. They're they're never going to take the place of hounds. You know, that's why I also have hounds, but they've got their niche in doing stuff. You know, uh, mine, mine don't have any trouble sticking with the hounds. Uh, they're just they're just a different dog. They uh, they've got a high sense of drive, high sense of purpose, and you're definitely going to have if you want to hunt bears or terriers or, or bobcats or mountain lions, uh, the yak terriers are the ones you want to do it with. That's for sure. They can they can yeah. do, they can do the job. Yeah. They can do the job. As I say, yeah, uh, uh, you know the, the bullshit stops when the tailgate drops. Nothing can be more true <laughs> when you when you've got a oh yeah, jag terriers because they they'll they'll, they'll, uh, they'll 
don't have to have to for it. But don't let them get with, oh, don't, let man. Them, don't let them get with yeah. their diamond color on them. Good, I, I hear you. You know, that's 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 the thing that I always look at in a dog, you know, and I, I'm not trying to bring this back. You know, I've got a, I've got a hound right now. That dog will not quit working. He's a hound. Um, but but I like his spirit. I, that's what I like the most about him. He's not the best bear dog on the mountain every day. Um He's not the best. He's definitely not a coon dog, but uh, he never quits. And I really like that trait that he has. You, you, you can't you can't train that. They've rather got it or they haven't. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, Alex, hey, buddy, man, I'll tell you what, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh educate us on yog terriers they're a breed that i've wanted to talk about for a long time and uh as always thanks appreciate it anytime i look forward to uh, i look forward to all your podcasts every week keep up the good work houndsman xp is outstanding and you're, you're kicking goals just make 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 sure you don't uh don't stop we're listening to it. We're uh, listening we'll, to it. We'll, we'll keep it rolling. We're listening to you, man. Yep. Yep. I appreciate it. Well, Alex, until next time, buddy, you, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine. All the best. <laughs>